Welcome to Get Up in the Cool, old-time music with Cameron DeWitt and friends. This week's friend is Matt Brown, old-time fiddler, educator, and producer. I'm going to cut to the chase. I'm releasing this now because Matt Brown produced a wonderful new album called On Big Shoulders, and there's a Kickstarter. I'm hoping that after listening to our interview and jam, you'll be convinced that On Big Shoulders is something worth checking out and supporting. After Matt and I recorded this, we listened to the whole album together, and you guys... It's so artfully done. It's the only Americana music I've heard in a long time that's really rooted in tradition. The whole album is a love letter to Chicago's music. It really makes me wish that more old-time fiddlers were producers because Matt's musical wisdom and values are just so beautifully applied. The whole thing is really impressive. And I know these days you get bombarded with crowdfunding requests, but this one deserves to make it through. So... Stick around afterward for more details. But first, here's my jam and chat with Matt Brown. Enjoy. Very good. <laughs> Fire on the Mountain. Uh, Matt Brown, welcome to Get Up in the Cool. Thanks for having me. Yeah. Uh, thanks for having me in your little music study mm-hmm. slash DVD and book library. Yeah, we got we got one of everything in here. Yeah. 
Very good. Um, so s- somehow I got a hold of your CD and I started listening to it. And uh, yeah, it's very, very good. And then Thank I put you. it together that that Matt Brown is the same Matt Brown as you. And uh, I didn't know anything about the old the old town school folk music. Uh, but generally, whenever it was brought up, your name was also brought up like at the same time. So I was like, did this guy make the old town <laughs> school folk music? I didn't know it was like... 60 years old or something yeah in a week or two it'll be the 60th anniversary of the old town That's school amazing. so i did not make it yeah i'm, <laughs> I'm 33 and uh, yeah. i don't have a time machine yeah nor am i benjamin yet. button yeah the 33 year old matt brown does not right the uh, 73 year old when you're a doc exactly when you're doc brown exactly um so then i started asking around i was like what's like matt brown's relationship with the old school uh, sorry, the Old Town School folk music, and uh, this is what I heard: Matt Brown has a fiddle cult <laughs> at, the old, at the Old Town School folk music, and they meant it in a positive way. I sure hope so. Yeah, <laughs> very much. Yeah. So, uh, any of that wrong <laughs> that I didn't correct myself, or like that's some little details. That's what I've heard about you. That's a lot of like lead up. <laughs> Hey, I'll take it. I, yeah. Cult has a dangerous connotation, right. but you know, in the benign connotation, um, <laughs> if it means that I'm helping people play fiddle a little more like they want to, yeah. then great. Yeah. Um, I also hadn't heard of the old town school when I lived in Pennsylvania until the last year or two. I was, I'd been doing some touring, some to- solo touring, trying to be a solo old time musician in the mold of Bruce Molsky and Mike Seeger. And then, Someone like Tim O'Brien when he doesn't take a band with him. So I'd sing and play some banjo and guitar as well as playing fiddle. And I would travel around. And I, um, the romantic partner of someone I knew uh, to- heard that I was going to be traveling through Chicago and said, oh, you got to go check out this place, the Old Town School. And I was maybe 25 year, yeah, 24, 25 years old. Growing up on the East Coast before then, it had never been a, a matter of conversation. But then I get here and it's an institution. Yeah. And it's been around, like we said a minute ago, for almost 60 years, you know, 59 years and, and uh, 51 weeks at this point. How? Uh, it was started by a bunch of progressive, um, socially active um, musical types who... Uh, there were a couple of reasons for the starting of it. And there's actually a, a podcast being put out by the old town school right now that they launched the, uh, the first episode of a six part series about the founding of the school awesome. and then up to the modern era that just launched last night, uh, November cool. 23rd. So people can go listen to all, all about that. Um, but it was a collection of, of at least four people. And, but also big bill Brunzi was involved, uh, the mm. please musician in taking some of the ideas of, of like Pete Seeger's work, but also, um, Bess Lomax Hawes was doing communal music teaching and making out yeah. on the West Coast, and that was brought here. And it was also a way for touring musicians who weren't on the road to have work yeah. went b- between tours, um, and it became this communal music-making um, event for for you know normal people in Chicago who wanted mm-hmm. to be more creative. And it's been around ever since, and it's had you know successes and and times of trouble um but now we have three buildings in two different neighborhoods and thousands of students every week that's amazing of all ages so that's so cool uh i wish every city had one have you ever thought about uh like 
whatever the church planting equivalent is of like evangelizing your old town school brand and like sending it out to other for cities. sure i mean if i if i had an administrative role i would probably have yeah. already tried to plant a couple flags elsewhere yeah there there are some great institutions that are smaller um throughout the country Swallow Hill Music is, I think, the best example in Denver, mm. but also um, Jalopy in Red Hook, right, right, and uh, the Freight and Salvage out in the Bay Area, and Club Passim has a very small music school, but they have one. Yeah, I think the Old Town School model is great in that we actually get more revenue from from the teaching than from the performance side. Yeah, even though our concert series is incredibly robust, that's just how big our education department is. Um, that it it actually brings in more yeah, revenue than the concerts, but it's both a concert venue and a, uh, a music school. Well, that makes sense. I feel like this, this music is so participatory that like right. usually like everyone in an audience, uh, is also to some extent a musician. <laughs> right. It's like, and this, the, the school's scope is broad enough that it's not just old time music. And even though folk is in the title, it's not all folk music in the ethnomusicologist sense um, we teach a lot of commercial music, but it, at this point, we're teaching a lot of commercial music from 50 years ago. Um, we don't yet have a program to teach modern like pop music yeah. or, or the most successful commercial music. So they're teaching in the guitar program, they're teaching Beatles songs and uh, Sam Cooke songs yeah. and Grateful Dead. And, and we have ensembles for all that. The, the fiddle and banjo playing is a part of what we do, but not a majority of what we do. Right, right. So I'm part of a kind of a smaller branch within the school of people teaching traditional music. Um, but it's an honor to be a part of it because it's, it's been going on for years and there's, there have been remarkable people who've passed through both as students and as teachers at various points. And yeah. uh, there's a lot, lot of institutional wisdom there. Cool. Well, uh, we got a lot of tuning to do, so maybe we should uh, <laughs> embark go, on that. Yeah, embark on that and play another tune before I uh, ask you some more questions. Great, let's let's do it. Did it. So the first time I heard Lone Prairie um, was the recording of uh, John Beekoff. Hmm. and Nate Payne. Do you, have you seen this video series? It's like these two twin fiddlers and they're uh, like on a field. I think sometimes they're by a lake. Um, no, I haven't. He's, I think he's like a Vermont or like maybe Ithaca fiddler, John Beekoff, but he, he died recently, but there was this like series that came out pretty recently of hmm. a bunch of his fiddling, but they play this tune for like seven minutes <laughs> and it's definitely the same tune, but it's also not. It's, hmm. In like D minor and F major. Wow. Um, so it's like it has the same kind of phrase lengths, um, but it's pretty clearly like uh, in a different scale. Yeah. So I don't know what what's like the history. Do you know the history of this tune or like? Yeah, it's a ballad about a dying cowboy. Bury, oh. bury me not on the lone prairie. Um, Bruce Molsky recorded a vocal version of it that was inspired by the Fields Ward version. Mm. Um, and Fields Ward was, I hope this is right. Fields Ward was the nephew of Wade Ward. Oh, um, okay. And Wade Ward. So the way I play it and the way we're going to try it in a minute is, uh, is the way Wade Ward played it on the fiddle mm. and he recorded it solo fiddle in, I forget if he played it in a, a or G, but, cross-tuning it yeah. sounded like to me and so i learned it as faithfully as i could 
um, to record it on the album that I then called Lone Prairie. Um, but it was an instrumental version of a ballad, yeah. Bury Me Not, on the Lone Prairie, which Fields Ward was one of a number of people who sang it. Um, I don't know where those gentlemen got it. Yeah, I have no, <laughs> no idea. Maybe they just made it, made that version up. They're like, this would be cool in D minor, or, you know, I yeah. have no idea. But There sure are a lot of tunes, I feel like I'm discovering more of them every day, that were obviously songs. Right. And then, for whatever reason, um, people also like to play them. They thought the melody was right. beautiful enough on its own, or evocative enough on its own. The story that I've heard with Wade Ward is that he had a case of the whooping cough when he was mm. a boy that took away his singing voice. Huh. Um, he could speak... But um, he played an, a, a couple of tunes, really great renditions of tunes that people usually sing. Hmm. So this being one of them, but also Shady Grove. Yeah. He has an incredible banjo version of Shady Grove that has a weird, crooked form that I think like he had the liberty to, to make it a crooked yeah. instrumental tune because he wasn't going to sing it. Right. So. Cool. You know, out of limitations can come innovation. Yeah. Folk music. Good. <laughs> Yeah, that's awesome. That that makes so much sense. I always thought when I heard this original recording, which really is like the same tune, like it's just with a different scale. But like I always thought, man, this this sounds like a song. Yeah. And I never did any research, so I'm glad to hear this now. That yeah, there are words. I'll have to check those out too. Yeah. Cool. Yeah, when you're ready.
man, what a cool tune. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's funny how the form is so short. Yeah. Um, and, and there's only one, one part. Yeah. I never get tired of it. Right. <laughs> like I could have played that for a lot longer and like, yeah. it's, it's funny how like, how that works sometimes. And that form is just once through the verse. We were talking about yeah. how it's a song. Yeah. That's just the melody for one verse. And you know, yeah. with songs like that, that you can conceivably just keep adding more lyrics. So it could go on forever. Yeah. <laughs> Very good. Cool tune. Yeah. Cool tune. Um, let's go ahead and uh, tune and get, get ready for this next one. Uh, Oh, yeah, we're going to do the Marcus Martin Polly Put the Kettle On. Yeah, man. It's one of my very favorite recordings. Awesome. And I love how it sounds on, uh, is this one on Speed of the Plow? It is, yeah. 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 With Greg Reich on guitar. He came yeah. up with this incredible guitar part, finger style, I think. Um, he did a variety of different guitar styles on that record. I loved his interpretation of, when I when I listened to the original, I was like, how would one chord this? Yeah. Because it seems to me like it's going back and forth between G major, G minor. And sometimes it sounds like he's straight up playing a B flat chord. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, the tonality is one of the most ambiguous tonalities I've ever heard in like an old time tune. Uh, but I love your guys' version of it. It's really, really cool. Thanks. It's beautiful. Yeah. yeah. Um, did you... How did you like decode? I, I've heard a bunch of people play this tune. Oh, really? Uh, or I've heard a handful of people play it, but everyone plays it pretty differently. Hmm. And I sometimes wonder if that's out of necessity for like, what do I do? How do I decode like some of these notes? Like, how did you... Maybe this is a good time for you to tell people, how do you like learn tunes? What's your like learning tunes process? I just put on the track and just play it obsessively until I can play it exactly like the source... And then after that, I get to play it the way I want to. But gotcha. I, I, I'm a big believer in the importance of being able to imitate a master um, artist in order to understand what they're doing. Yeah. And then use whatever tools from that to, to find your own expression. Yeah. Um, it's very easy to, to learn like 40 to 60% right. of something and then leave out the other you know the the remainder and it's understandable but some of the some of the most interesting parts of of the music i think gets lost yeah in that regard and so for me since i was a in the mid teenage years i would just put on like that was the day the era when we had cds as the main (laughs) main vehicle for listening to music that had been played at some other time prior Um, yeah we had a cd player at home that had a had a loop button you could you uh, couldn't, cool. couldn't loop a section but you could loop a track yeah and so i remember just sitting in our living room there in westchester pennsylvania and looping whatever tune it was and it was at that time it was mostly musicians who were performing you know in that era so like bruce molsky brad leftwich rave stefanini dirk powell bruce yeah. green um some of my Raina gellert some of my favorite fiddle players kirk sutfin the list is longer than that but then when they started directing me, you know, I'd maybe take a workshop with them. They'd say, oh, you've got to check out Wade Ward or John Salyer or Eden Hammonds. I would then do the same thing with those recordings. And so with Marcus Martin, it's the same deal. And that was true when I was 15 and now when I'm twice that age. Mm-hmm. Um, I do occasionally as a teacher or if I'm being asked to like 
tra- transcribe something for publication, yeah. um, I'll use a tool like the amazing slowdowner, yeah. which really is amazing yeah. because then I can <laughs> slow it down to you know, 20% and just loop a little section and get really confident that this is the sequence of notes. Yeah. I don't know that I ever did that with this tune. Um, but f- for some where it's either the recording quality is really bad or the original recording is really fast, I might, I might endeavor to do, to do that just to save time. Yeah, totally. <laughs> Instead of just spending, okay, th- today I'm just going to loop this old recording forever and just keep playing it. Which is a great way to spend a Tuesday. Yeah, totally. <laughs> Sometimes you don't have that time. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Right on. Um, well, yeah, let's play this tune. And then I think I, I should probably ask you like how you got into this music in the first place and your Pennsylvania roots, but... Let's play this tune, and that's what I'm going to ask you afterwards. Great. I'm making a mental note. I'll start making up my answers. Yeah, okay. (laughs) One, two, ready.
I wonder if someday I'm going to be able to just like relax and play that tune. <laughs> like it's like I I feel like I'm on the entire time. Like B flat, B natural, F flat, F natural, F sharp. Like I'm always just like it's it's not the easiest tune to play on the banjo. I don't know how it lays on the fiddle. <laughs> it's you know, there are easier tunes on the fiddle, but I think it's more of a fiddle tune than a banjo tune. Uh-huh. And I think you did a fabulous well, job. Thank you. That was terrific. <laughs> uh, man, Polly put the kettle on. Is that why is that named that? It doesn't afraid, sound anything like Molly put the kettle on. I was afraid you were going to ask me that. I have no idea. Okay. <laughs> I have absolutely no idea. Matt Brown is an expert of <laughs> old time music. Um, no. We'll have like, uh, you know, hate mail or whatever and i'll send it on to you <laughs> yeah please send it to yeah. the old town school yeah <laughs> uh so how did you get into playing old time music in the first place sounds like you got it started in westchester pennsylvania i right? did yeah so my father tim brown was a banjo player like yourself in his 20s and then he and my mom had me in their 30s and by that point my dad was playing music in a in a string band around home. He had a day job, and as did all of his bandmates, but they would play for local square dances in Chester County, and I think some in Lancaster County, and also, you know, pet weddings and uh, yeah. and various, various social events where people wanted live music. And it was before old-time music was really hip, um, but around that area, there were lots of people who wanted you know, down home music or, you know, just, just authentic sounding music on string instruments, string band instruments. So I apparently showed an affinity for the violin at about three and a half years old. And at the age of four started Suzuki violin lessons, learning classical music on the instrument. But as soon as I could play a couple of the most basic pieces that they teach in that method, I started learning, I think with, with great encouragement from my dad, um, started learning very simple versions of the classic old time jam session tunes, Old Joe Clark and yeah. Cluck Old Hen and Cripple Creek and some of those. And played it played old time music whenever I was compelled to do so by, yeah. my, by my loving father, who was excited to have another musician in the house. Yeah. And then the time when I really got passionate about it was when I first went off to one of these week long immersion camps. And for me it was the Swannanoa Gatherings Old Time Week, yeah. which I attended when I was maybe fourteen, my mom took me. My dad stayed home, and uh, my mom went off and was a tourist in and around Asheville, North Carolina, and did all the sightseeing during the day, and I took classes with, uh, I remember Raina Gellert was there that year, Brad Leftwich was definitely mm-hmm. there, because we had actually begun a, an email correspondence with him ahead of time, and sent him some demos of me playing some old-time tunes, and he gave some really thoughtful and critical feedback Um that helped inspire me and just having that experience of spending five days with people whose CDs we listened to back home, yep. um, them teaching these classes. But then I would, I had some jam sessions with some of them and got to eat meals, share meals with them. And then the student concert at the end of the week, my backup band was John Herman, Tom Sauber and oh Meredith McIntosh. And we played, um, Elzik's farewell. I had learned it pretty much verbatim off of the primitive characters, um, album. That was a great, band um in that era i guess they were from upstate new york um i hope that's right and that from that moment on i was sold on old-time music and would you you say it's because that's when you 
first had an idea of what the like community could be like? Well, I had a sense of the community because my dad was heavily involved in our local community. Right. But I guess it didn't. It hadn't registered for me that I could be involved in the bigger community. Yeah. And also be interacting with and eventually playing with some of the best musicians yeah. um, in the music. Not that I was that good, but I was good enough that I didn't embarrass myself. Like yes. I could sit in in a jam with them or um, they were willing to have be seen having lunch with me. Maybe it was out of sympathy, but regardless, <laughs> like that they would let me hang out with them yeah. as a teenager. I was like, this is really cool. Like here are the people who are the some of the best in the scene at it yeah. and they're willing to like let me tag along. And soon thereafter, we started hosting some house concerts and concerts in Westchester, Pennsylvania. And I remember the one that made the biggest difference for me was Bruce Molsky came and did a, a workshop, maybe probably, knowing Bruce, it was probably a fiddle workshop for a little while, and then a banjo workshop, and then in the evening gave a, a concert, did his solo show, singing, playing, telling stories. It was amazing. Mm. And it was at that point that I, that I thought, well, maybe I could... Maybe if I learned some banjo and some guitar and started singing again, um, I'd sung in a choir as a boy, but not through my voice change. I thought maybe I could do what he's doing and maybe I could make a living doing that. Yeah. And that sure sounds more fun than working in an office, which is what each of my parents yeah. were doing at that time. Has it been more fun? I, I don't really have anything to compare it to. Because you haven't worked in an office. I haven't really worked. I, I you briefly, had your whole life ahead of you. you yeah, I could, still work, work I could still work in an point. office. I did a little bit of office work, and I will admit to all of those who are listening that playing old-time music, at least for me, has been more fun than working in an office. Yeah. <laughs> right on. Yeah. Uh, I remember... It was before I went to my first Clifftop, I went to the... Um, Nashville Clawhammer camp. Oh, cool. Megan Lynch's camp. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I went to that with um, Adam Hurd Mm -hmm. and Brad Lefwich was there and Leroy Troy was there and Tyler Andel was there and um, John Balch was there who makes all these fabulous, um, well, tunes. He makes great banjo tunes, but also these uh, goat and calfskin heads. Uh, But I remember like feeling like wow this is amazing that i'm like allowed to drink a beer with brad leftwich you know and that like that's something really cool about this music is that you get to like you know interact with your like heroes yeah and uh i think that's pretty unique that there's no like vip room (laughs) right yeah right well there's so few p that there can't be that yeah exactly (laughs) it's a small world yeah yeah, so, yeah, I think that was, like, when I started getting, myself getting an idea. Like, I think I had a similar experience, you know, and just, like, awesome. I, I was, you know, older, but uh, I wish I had gotten into this music earlier, but... Hey, you're here now. I'm here now. You never have to leave. <laughs> you might have to leave this house, but uh, yeah. you don't have to leave the music. Okay. <laughs> you are welcome in the music. Let me let me be the first to welcome you. The second, it's yeah. <laughs> Right on. Uh, let's. Uh, what was the next one? Pineywood Scout. Oh yeah, that's, that's a great tune. Okay, let me uh, let me get back out of modal real quick. Awesome. <laughs> My family's so goddamn tired of hearing me hum that. <laughs> Do they all live around here? Is that why you're in town? No. Um, 
We're just in town visiting my friend Ashley, who is childhood friends with my wife. Oh, cool. Uh, so my wife and I and our son are here mm -hmm. and uh, visiting Ashley and then some other college friends from Boston flew okay. in too. So we're just like having a friend's giving. Oh, cool. Yeah. Yeah, this is my third third time in Chicago. First time was when I moved to Philly. I drove over, and then I came back for the Singing Stomp. Oh, on Labor Day. Yeah, so I played at that and recorded Chirp Smith. Awesome. Yeah, it was really fun. <laughs> He's amazing. Yeah, uh, and instantly disarming and just yeah. char charming and, and yeah, yeah, jolly. I would almost say. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. There's so many words that describe yeah. Chirps. Brilliant. Yes.
tiny woods gal. Mm-hmm. So we have one tune left, but before we play that one more tune, which is probably my favorite one. Oh, really? Out of like both of your albums, uh, Lone Prairie and Speed of the Plow. Nice. Is this tune, uh, Hog Went Through the Fence. Awesome. This is such a cool tune. It really is. I don't think I've ever heard that before. Where's it Where's it from? It's from Luther Strong, okay, Kentucky okay. fiddle player. Right on. So I'm very excited to play that. But first, tell us about your albums. And you have some like fiddle lesson albums as well. I have one of those, yeah. One of them. Okay, great. So uh, back in 2005, I recorded that album you've mentioned a couple times and that has Hog Went Through the Fence on it. It's called Lone Prairie, and it has Paul Brown playing every conceivable style of old-time banjo, mm-hmm. and Beverly Smith singing beautifully and playing guitar. And then after that, I made a record. Well, I made that fiddle lesson CD that you mentioned yeah. um, because I was beginning to teach, and my dad thought it was a good idea to have a, an instructional album out there, and it's called Old Time Fiddle Lesson Volume 1, a very hopeful title. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and then after that, I was starting to do some solo touring, and so I made a record that was just me. It's called Falls of Richmond. And I play that tune on the fiddle and, and some others on the banjo and the guitar, and I sing a little bit. After that, I made a record called My Native Home, which had some solo material, some fiddle music, but also collaborations with Ben Krakauer, who's an amazing banjo player, Mark Schatz on bass, Brittany Haas on fiddle, mm. and Tim O'Brien sang All right, okay. Harmony to Me on two songs and then played guitar on the Stambo Waltz. And then the record that we've mentioned a couple times with Greg Reich is the newest with my name on it, um, yeah. Speed of the Plow. Even more recently, this band that I play with in Chicago called Big Sadie put out its first record, and that was just in May. The album's called Keep Me Waiting, although by putting it out, we don't keep people waiting yeah. anymore. So it's <laughs> self-defeating title, but a, a really, <laughs> really fun band. Um, three of my best friends in town are my bandmates. Um, it's led by this couple colin and elise and uh, our friend andy plays banjo that's more of a bluegrass feel with some country influences but it's acoustic instruments and both elise and i have strong affiliations for old-time music and colin grew up with old-time music and andy loves it too so it's okay we have some bluegrass curious listeners great yeah so people who are willing um to hear someone play with picks on their fingers in terms of the banjo player (laughs) (laughs) and i guess i play fiddle solos on every single track so that's really fun for me to get to do that on a recording for the first time. How, how should people find all of these recordings? Um, the simplest place to start is probably my website, which is unfortunately not myname.com or mattbrown.com. That would make sense. Um, it's uh, it's brownsdream.us. That's very good. Brownsdream <laughs> being, yes. Well, I don't, I don't feel like a commercial entity, but I do feel like I live in the United States. Um, and Brownsdream is, feeling a, it is right a fiddle now. tune. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it'll hard. But if you just search for like Matt Brown fiddle or something of yeah. that ilk, you'll stumble across. That's Brown's, what that's Brown's what I did. US. Oh, cool. And you came up. Yeah, nice. So. Yeah. <laughs> there was another Matt Brown who played Western swing music, I think, on the fiddle. And then the other Matt Browns tend to be mi- mixed martial artists. So if that's more your jam, <laughs> uh, there are lots of YouTube videos, I think, and some websites too. Very good. Cool. Uh, Brown's Dream. Yeah. Dot US. Yeah. Very good. I'll include all of the links. In the, you just tap around on your phone yeah. till you've bought and subscribed to everything. Yeah. yeah. And the good. exciting upcoming thing is um, a record I produced called On Big Shoulders that features a bunch of Chicago musicians, including Elise from Big Sadie. She sings harmony on a couple songs. Um, 
an Americana record, electric guitars and drums and yeah. bass and pedal steel. That'll be coming out in 2018. So there's already a website for that on bigshoulders.com and cool. uh, social media for all of that. And that's where a lot of my artistic energy is shifting to production work, cool. which is super exciting. So people can look out for that. Very cool. Well, yeah, it's been really lovely to play these tunes with you and uh, Likewise. to get to like finally hear your, your story. <laughs> To know that you're not a cult leader, you're just no. <laughs> someone who's facilitating people. Uh, yeah, doing this really awesome thing, which is playing playing the fiddle and playing old time music. And um, yeah, I think it's really. Uh, I think the the scene in Chicago, the few times that I've been out here, it seems to be very diverse in the traditional music, and it's very um, robust, yeah. and that's really really cool. Uh, and I want to see more of that. I hope more people uh, follow your example and um, just create their own fiddle and banjo and old-time music communities. That's a bit nicer C word. Yeah. <laughs> and the way I see it is the Old Town School is a great way to, to make the spirit of Swananoa or yeah. the Clawhammer Camp or Ashokan or Augusta, those week-long uh, fiddle tunes, those week-long or weekend experiences the Old Town School allows us to do that 48 weeks of the year, and we all get a little bit more sleep. Um, yes. But I host a monthly Old Time Jam, and there are dances and workshops around town, not yeah. just at the Old Town School. So if anyone likes this kind of music and is coming through Chicago, let us know, and there's probably something awesome going on on any particular day. Right on. Well, let's uh, get to A and play that hog one through the fence. Awesome. All right, Matt. Thanks so much for being on the show. Uh, had a really good time. <laughs> I'm excited to play this tune. <laughs> me too. Thanks for having me, Cameron. Yeah. One, two, ready, go. Thank you. 
Go support the On Big Shoulders Kickstarter. It's linked in the show notes on your podcatching device, as well as this episode's post on my website and on Get Up in the Cool's Facebook page and group. There's one Kickstarter reward where Matt will take you out to dinner, and he promises the evening will be, and I quote, filled with scintillating conversation. So if you pledge at that amount, I'm going to need a full report. (laughs) But if you don't spring for that, there's a lot of other neat rewards like screen printed mugs, t-shirts, and of course, copies of the record in both compact disc format and vinyl. Oh, and share this episode with friends in case any of them might support the cause. When you finish doing that, go peruse onbigshoulders.com and Matt's website, brownsdream.us, where you can find all his other projects, his recordings, and his show schedule. If you want to support Get Up In The Cool and get exclusive rewards like on-air shoutouts, access to the Get Up In The Cool Tune Archive, online banjo workshops, and weekly bonus tracks, go to CameronDeWitt.com and click the button that says Patreon, then choose a support level that works for you and get that extra stuff. This week's bonus track, by the way, is especially good. Matt and I play Kennedy Rag, a tune that Matt describes as a little slimy. (laughs) Huge thanks and internet hugs from my newest Patreon supporters, Rach Krause and Ryan Navy. Also, Gil McNeil, thanks for raising your Patreon pledge and enjoy your bonus tracks. There's like 80 of them, so go binge listen. That's all for now, friends. Thanks for listening. Come back same time next week to get up in the cool.